So here we go. We're, uh, we're going to launch into Romans together. One of, the, uh, one of the great books of the Bible. They're all great, but, uh, but Romans is, is one of particular significance um, historically in the, the life of the church and the life of many um, significant um, men and women of the faith through the, the centuries. It is uh, called, and, and appropriately so, the uh, Apostle Paul's magnum opus. Um, like all of Paul's letters, it is what's called an incidental letter, which means it's written for a purpose. It's written to a particular group of people at a particular time. None of Paul's letters, including Romans, were works that where Paul said, you know what, I think I'm going to write some uh, theological treatise, and, and I'll think of somebody to send it to. He never did that. Every one of the letters that we have from him are, um, are written for a particular occasion. It was only after that, by God's will, we believe, and, and according to God's superintending of his word, that the church realized that these letters of Paul ought to be included in their canon of scripture, for they, for they helped the church. They were inspired in a very special way by God to reveal the truth of, um, of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we have Paul's letters included in our Bibles. To begin with, um, I want to talk about portraits, because what we have here at the beginning of this letter is, in, in a sense, Paul kind of giving a, a brief portrait of himself by way of introduction before he launches into this uh, great letter that he is going to write to uh, Christians in the, the capital city of the known world, which at the time was Rome. Um, so I want to talk about portraits a little bit. You know, around here, every once in a while, we do our church directories, and we have people uh, take pictures, and we have church portraits that go into our church directories, and it's, it really is nice to have pictures of people to kind of match names and faces uh, in the life of our church. Um, my favorite portrait story in my own life is one Christmas when Danelle and I, and I think at that point we had probably three kids, uh, we decided we were going to do one of those uh, mail-order portrait things you get at the drugstore. Uh, you know, you go order them, they, you give them a picture, and then they turn them into Christmas cards. So we did that. We turned in our picture, um, sent it away, and then the, it came back, and we went to pick up the, the box that had our name on it. Got home, opened it up, <laughs> and it was a picture of a different family. Um, somehow things had gotten mixed up, apparently. Now, I wanted to go ahead and send them out anyway. <laughs> you know, with some kind of a catchy, you know, humorous little uh, caption attached to it. Um, Danelle didn't think that was going to be such a great idea, so we, we went back to the, to the drugstore and changed our box of... Uh, Pictures. I guess there's probably another family that was probably way more anxious than us <laughs> to get their picture instead of ours. But uh, church photos and school pictures and Christmas photo greetings and senior pictures. Why do we do this? I suppose one reason is it's a way of expressing our affection to take and, and give pictures. Um, to mark a special moment, a, a, a particular uh, moment in, in our lives or in the life of our families, uh, to submit to the discipline and be part of the community 
you know, the, the team that takes their team picture, you're part of that. The church that does their photo directory, your school uh, pictures and the picture of your class and those sorts of things, you know, would just fit in and be part of the discipline of, of taking pictures and being part of some kind of a, of a photo memory of, uh, of that time. And, but you know, it is risky. Anybody else ever have to move a, a large family portrait from a, the place of prominence? to a place of much less prominence, like maybe the garage, because one of the happy couples in the big portrait didn't stay married. Um, But in some ways, it's probably riskier not to do it. It's important to keep from being forgotten, yes? Uh, To stake a claim at being something valuable, someone special. Look, there's my picture. Somebody somewhere has it on their wall. In some ways, you think about it, it's probably a vain hope, this idea that, you know, we can make pictures and give pictures and put up pictures as a way of being remembered. I mean, the trick here is not how many pictures do you possess, but how many of your pictures remain in the possession of others. And it's hard to be sure. You know, you go visit family and you wonder if they put that little picture up just before you arrived, you know. Um, One thing that photographic portraits are not usually, is a great way to express ourselves, to reveal something of who we are, other than our physical appearance. But even that, with touch-ups and, you know, getting yourself all spiffed up like you never look except for pictures, and it's it's probably a little iffy there even in terms of really revealing what you look like physically. But it certainly isn't a a great way uh, to, uh, to reveal anything beyond that. I mean, does the picture say more about the one in the picture or the one organizing or taking the picture? And I know you've all been here. Straighten up. Button your shirt. Here, put on this tie. You're a disgrace. Comb your hair. Now, smile and look happy. (laughs) I mean, is the purpose of the pictures to reveal or to hide? Is it like a real-life painting or a fictional drawing? How do you capture in a snapshot something of the real person in view? And they tell me that this is actually one of the the marks of of a really good photographer is that they're able to do that. That when they take your picture... Uh, what people see is a little bit more than just the physical resemblance. There's something in it that the photographer is able to capture that is, that is a little more you, um, a little below the surface. Um, so how would you set about to take a picture, not just of your physical appearance and wardrobe, but of your life? Maybe you'd include some items of importance in the picture, I remember seeing a picture, I think it was when one of our kids was doing senior pictures and we were in the photo studio and there was this big, huge picture of, a, of some teenager and his car. Um, my my uh, oldest son uh, brought a basketball and included it in some of his senior pictures. I think we have one of those in, in our collection somewhere with, with Brian and his basketball. Um, maybe you'd include some articles of symbolic significance in your picture. Maybe you'd wear a cross. Maybe you'd wear a military uniform. By the way, if you have a picture like that, bring it to the office. We want those. Maybe you'd be holding on to a Bible uh, as your picture is being taken. 
But maybe it would be better to send a letter rather than a picture as an instrument of self-revelation. If your purpose is to express who you are and what is important to you, then maybe you would have a chance to stop and realize that you had something more important to share than merely a revelation of yourself. Well, about 1960 years ago, in the mid-50s AD, the Apostle Paul sent a letter to Christians in Rome, one of the most important epistles ever written. Some would argue the most important letter that's ever been written in the history of humanity. In it, he revealed something much more important than simply who the man named Paul or Saul from Tarsus was. At the outset, though, he did begin with a few words about himself, and they helped set the stage for what was to follow. So let's take a look at our text for today, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you saw fit to extend to us this treasure that is the inspired words of the, of the Apostle Paul in what we call the book of Romans. And Lord, I pray that, that we would see um, manifest here today And every other day over the next many months as we look into your word in Romans together, that we would see manifested here the realization of your promise that your word never goes forth without accomplishing its purpose and that we would also realize the wonder and the truth that the power is in the message itself. And it changes people like us in profound ways. And we invite that change with due fear and trepidation as we launch into this study in the book of Romans together. And we pray these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. In this section which is interesting in that it is the most expanded letter introduction anywhere in the letters of Paul. He, he, he goes on longer just in introducing himself and finally getting to grace and peace than in any other letter. Um, there, it is an expanded introduction. 
And in here we see something of Paul's passion and something of his self-perception. And in these things, we see that something has happened to the Apostle Paul. He has been gospelized. We see Paul's emerging passion for the gospel. A passion for God, a passion for Jesus. By way of introduction, you may have noticed this as we read the introduction together. Paul mentions his own name one time, and then he refers to Jesus by name and by title some 14 times in seven verses. Something has happened to this former persecutor of those who identified themselves with this Jesus of Nazareth. The gospel has happened. We see his passion for the good news. He says so. He is set apart for the gospel of God, he says. And gospel, you've heard me say this before. You'll hear me say it again. It's a, it's a really important word in the New Testament. Euangelion. That's, how, that's the word gospel. You means good. Angelos means message. It's the good, literally the good message, the good news. That's what gospel means. The good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul has passion for this. He says so and he demonstrates so. Verses 2 through 6. It was a typical formula in Greek letter writing in the first century to start a letter something like this. Person A to person B, kairain, which is a Greek word that means greetings. Person A to person B, greetings. Quite short and to the point, typically. Kind of like what we do. Dear so-and-so. There's our formula. Paul begins with his name in verse 1, and eventually in verse 7, Paul offers his typical play on words, substituting the word grace, charis, or, or yeah, charis, for greetings, kyrene. Similar sounding words. He does this little pun, and instead of saying greetings, he says grace. And then adding the typical Jewish blessing of peace, erine in Greek. So, charis uh, and erine, grace and peace. In between, uh, beginning with his name and finally getting to his typical grace and peace, Paul greatly expands this formula, as I mentioned. Having once mentioned the gospel, the good news of God, he can't help but go on about it right at the outset. The gospel? The gospel? Uh, Did somebody say the gospel of God? The good news of Jesus Christ? Oh, my friends, let me tell you about that. It's what the prophets in the holy law promised to us long ago, but we couldn't quite understand. The gospel? It's always been in God's word to us. Go back and look, friends. All they told us about a son to come from the line of David. Do you see it? The gospel... It's what God has shown us. Oh, what power by raising Jesus Christ himself from the dead. The gospel, it's the grace of God by which I have been specially called to tell the Gentiles, the non-Jews, about Jesus and his gospel and to plead with them to obey him for their own sake and for his glory. And you too are called to belong to him and to tell his good news to everyone. Paul's passion and his self-perception. 
We see in here clues to Paul's vanishing self-esteem. He's been gospelized. There is growing space available where his me used to go. Let me read this uh, quote from Mere Christianity about uh, a humble person. He says this in Mere Christianity, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. How does Paul see himself and present himself? Three key words that we find in this introductory section. Servant, apostle, and saint. And in each, there is a movement away from self and towards something or someone else. Servant, literally slave. And it's probably good for us to realize together that this, we think of slave, we hear slave and slave of Jesus and that sort of thing, and, and we think, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that romantic? Isn't that just calling it like it is and just submitting to Jesus and that sort of thing. But it's important for us to understand that within um, Roman culture of that time, this was a repugnant notion. Slave was ugly. Nobody should say that they want to be a slave. The, the lines between uh, class distinctions, especially the lowest class, which would be the slaves, was carefully guarded and deeply felt for people within the Roman Empire. If you called somebody a slave, they probably would punch you if they weren't. And if they were a slave, they better not punch you because they'll be in big trouble. Um, Paul, Paul says that he is a slave, a servant of Christ Jesus. For a Jew, this would, this would be a more acceptable way of referring to themselves as a slave of Yahweh God. But for, for Romans, this was an ugly notion, <coughs> repugnant. Um, the point for Paul isn't Paul. More and more, Jesus Christ is the issue of his life. And he really is a slave for Jesus. And he rejoices in that. Then also the word apostle this means somebody who is sent, a messenger, an emissary. It would be used of military expeditions. Um, he says he's called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. And this word set apart is interesting. It's the same root word as, as the one for the word declared that we find in verse 4, where we're told that Jesus was declared with power, declared with power to be the Son of God. In a sense, Paul is saying that God declared, you will go for me and represent me to my people among the Gentiles. And so, of course, with increasing joy and thanksgiving and, and courage, that is precisely what Paul is doing. And then saint. 
Saint means uh, one who is set apart, holy, separated from, uh, and, the, and it's the same word from which we get the word holy. He says he's set apart, holy, for the gospel of God. Like something special that we take extra care of at home. That, that, that's something that is of great value to you. Somebody important gave it to you. An heirloom that came from your great-great-grandmother, whose picture no longer hangs on your wall, by the way. Um, you put it in a special place. It's protected. Um, you dust it off once in a while, but other than that, nobody ever touches it. This, that's a picture of holy. Um, Christians are made holy, saints, by the completed work of Jesus for us and by the gracious call and command of our God. In God's economy, we are precious. The most precious things in all the world. Paul is a saint writing to fellow saints. That was true in verse 7, and it's true still today. What difference does this make? Well, the more he gets himself out of the center of his field of vision, out to the edges or even off the screen, the more some other things come into focus for him. The amazing, life-changing good news. The beautiful Lord of love, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The more Jesus and his good news comes into focus, come into focus, the more some other things are happening for Paul. And this is seen throughout the book of Romans. What we see happening in the rest of Romans is possible. It is fueled by the fact that God, that Paul has been gospelized. And here you can look at that little outline. I've given you an outline for the whole book in your um, bulletin. As he gets himself off the screen and Jesus and his good news comes more into focus, Paul is able to gain a real understanding of himself. In relationship to his Lord and creator and savior, he's been gospelized. And so he offers this best news introduction. He's able to gain a true assessment of himself. He's been gospelized. And so he's able to write after this, about the alienating reality that plagues all of humanity, including himself. He he has an an unshakable confidence as himself. And it's developing more and more with the good news of Jesus in his heart and mind. He has been gospelized. And so he will write about the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. He has overflowing thankfulness for his life an eternal life, so full of meaning and purpose and value. And this is what is bursting forth from him, the life that God has given to him. He has been gospelized. And so he is able to share with others later in the letter about the identifying freedom that comes with Christ. Renewed compassion and concern for his people emerges. He has been gospelized. And so when we get to chapter 9, we're going to have Paul be able to address head on the perplexing reality of his own people's rejection of their own Messiah. And he will do so with great compassion. A deep desire to live according to God's wisdom and for God's glory grows and is growing within him. 
He has been gospelized. And so he will share about the complete life that is given to God's people through Jesus Christ. The good news. And finally, a life that turns out to be super special and even includes a death that serves God's great purpose is lived to the full and then joyfully left behind. And so Paul is able to write at the end about the advancing gospel as the center of what is important in his life and in the life of other believers. You can already see this happening in the first few lines of his letter to the Christians in Rome. And he's only getting warmed up. And why shouldn't it be the same for us? Paul's goal is to see people like us get gospelized as well. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He writes to people that he hasn't met yet almost entirely in the church in Rome. And as he writes to people that he certainly hadn't met yet much later in Reno, Nevada. What's our passion? Things of God? The good news of Jesus Christ? How do we see ourselves? Like slaves of Jesus? Who would be silly to talk of what we are owed or how we ought to be served? Like apostles? Delegates with authority? Or part of a military unit or fleet of ships sent to accomplish something important for our good king? Like saints? People made special by God, set apart to receive and share the wonder and the glory and the power of his good news? When I was preparing this message, I learned something interesting, and it's reflected in some pictures that I've put in your bulletin. When people painted Paul the Apostle, St. Paul, down through the ages, they tended to picture him holding a book and a sword. You can see a couple of examples of that in your bulletin. The book, it's a symbol of the gospel for which Paul is set apart, as are we all, and all Christians. We see that he wrote a large portion of the New Testament. And the sword could represent the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as we read in Ephesians 6. More words from the Apostle Paul. It also is a symbol of martyrdom, the historical enactment and physical witness to Paul's passion for God, his love for Jesus his Lord, and his confidence in his gospel, the good news of salvation to everyone who trusts in him, a willingness to lay down his life, to die, for the name of Jesus Christ and the truth of his gospel. The point for Paul wasn't Paul. More and more, Jesus Christ was the issue of his life. And in the end, according to the legend, and not recorded in the Bible, God's word, and why should it be? The point for Paul and for all those who wrote the Bible isn't Paul and the people who wrote the Bible. In the end, Tradition tells us he lost his life through imperial execution, beheading, in fact, 
because it was not his extinguishable temporal life that mattered, but rather the inextinguishable eternal life of Jesus Christ, his Lord, that was at stake. Who's going to paint your picture or my picture when we're gone? And what objects might they put in there with us? And who or what will be the real issue coloring our life portraits? Should we be worried about being forgotten and send out more of our wallet sizes? Will our faces be found hanging on anyone's walls after a generation or two? I suspect that not very many of us here today have pictures of our great, great, great grandmothers and grandfathers hanging on our wall. Maybe in a drawer somewhere, but maybe not even that. Paul tells us here, and he will be telling us in the weeks and months ahead throughout his Romans letter, that the pictures that matter are the ones that God has. To all in Rome, to all in Reno, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Verse 7. As we push ourselves out to the edges of our own field of vision each day, choosing instead to see the wonderful glory of God and the heartbreaking need of our fellow men and women, we can rest assured in faith that we are not being pushed out of God's field of vision. If you trust in him, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, God has your picture hanging on his wall somewhere in heaven. And it's there because he loves you. And this, even though it's a portrait that hides nothing. And it will never be removed. So it's time for us to grow into that heavenly portrait God has of us. Isn't it rightfully picture of one of Christ's joyful and beloved slaves? Isn't it properly a portrait of an apostle in the general sense of the word? One who represents the living God by his or her actions and words, and one who is here now for a purpose? And isn't it too the likeness of a saint? One made holy by the completed work of Jesus Christ. One set apart for special purposes. For the living out and the sharing out of the good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on to your hats, friends. Over the next many weeks... And hear the good news. As we study Romans together, there is going to be a whole lot of grace and peace to be received from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm trusting in His power. And I'm counting on His presence. And I'm anticipating that there's going to be a whole lot of gospelizing going on. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, once again, we thank you for being with us, for being with us here in your house, for being with us everywhere we go, for being with us with your love and your guidance and your strength for us. Lord, thank you for the invitation that you give to us to a life of security, a life of meaning, a life of purpose, and security and meaning and purpose that go far beyond anything that we can secure for ourselves in this temporal world. A security and a meaning and a purpose that is amazingly eternal. Help us to catch a glimpse and to grab a hold, even as we understand that you are grabbing hold of us. We pray these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.